I'm April Morley. I'm co-founder of Genius Drive and the Enterprise Value Collective. And I'm Tom Pacello, the ROI guy. This podcast is a service of the Enterprise Value Collective, a community for business value-focused leaders and practitioners, and is sponsored by our value consultancy, Genius Drive. Our mission is to help accelerate and optimize value articulation in each of your customer engagements and throughout your customer lifecycle. And to help us with a great discussion today on sellers and the need to change their behavior is Tim Ohai. He's a veteran sales effectiveness leader, now an independent revenue growth architect and coach with his consultancy, Kupu Solutions. Welcome, Tim. Hey, it's great to be here. Aloha. <laughs> Selling Aloha. has definitely changed in this uncertain economy. And as a result, we need sellers to step up and adopt. You know, we've given them new training skills, but it doesn't seem like change is occurring the way that we want. Why do you think it's so difficult to get sellers to change? I, I think it, it, it all boils down to what's the actual definition of the problem. When, when leaders go into their sales teams and we say, hey, we need you to do X or Y or Z, um, what they're really saying is we want you to hit your number. They're not really saying we want you to change how you sell or we want to disrupt the flow of the business so that we can go from, you know, an old state to a new state. Um, and, and then unfortunately, a lot of companies aren't even really trying to understand how their customers make buying decisions. Most of what they're trying to do is locked into this idea of how do we uh, force people to do something, and I air quotes around something, um, so that we can get our numbers back on track. And so mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're not clear about what change is about, uh, and you're not really clear on what your expectations are for what success looks like, and I mean, what's the outcome? What are the metrics, which includes hitting the number, but there's other things, and all the requirements, you're setting your team up for essentially failure, because you're just going to complain about whatever it is that they don't do that you didn't tell them you wanted them to do from the very beginning. And, and that's, to me, is, is the core issue. We're not really expecting change. We're just trying to yell at people. And we may do it in very nice ways. But the bottom line is it's, it's not there to help them change how they sell. It's about them hitting a number. Fair point, Tim. And so you said it's a more about what we're being clear about in our communication, what we're asking them to do, what the problem is. So how do we better articulate the problem and motivate the team to reach the outcomes that we're looking for? So if you, if you think about, you know, let's start with what are we expecting? Are we trying to simply optimize what's already in place or are we trying to actually transform what we're doing? So when, when we say um, we want to transform the way we sell, we really want to sell value. We really want to do this thing differently. You're saying as a leader, you're inviting disruption because you cannot transform without disruption. And yet the moment the numbers dip, the moment things start getting wonky, the moment that um, performance isn't as predictable as your weekly forecast call wants it to be, uh, people freak out and they start going, no, 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 you got to go back. And they default back to the optimization where you're minimizing disruption, but you'll never, you'll never optimize your way into a transformation. It just doesn't work that way. So you first and foremost have to define that scope and make sure every function, not just the team members, but every function is aligned to this. So if we're talking to marketing, hey, marketing, we're going to disrupt 
what we do so that we can transform in support of your strategy. If you're talking to value, hey, we're going to disrupt how these conversations go so that we can have different kinds of conversations. We're okay with that. But when I'm a seller and I could be the frontline manager, I could be an individual contributor, I could even be the vice president of sales, and I want different conversations and I'm getting pushback from other functions saying, you, you can't do it this way. You have to go back to the old way of doing it. We're not going to change the conversations. We'll default to what we used to do and get the same results we always have. Secondly, once we have that scope defined, we then need to be super, super, super clear about what success looks like. What is the outcome? What are the metrics? And what are the requirements? And if the outcome is defined as we want to hit a number, that's your metric. That's not your goal. We, we need to know if we're moving in the right direction, regardless of what the metric is, is telling us. So for example, we want market growth. Um, the metric tells us what percentage of growth we're getting. If we want market penetration, if we want to displace a competitor, we got to know that that's what we're trying to do so that marketing and value and sales and success and even finance and HR are aligned around executing that strategy around displacing a competitor. We may want to recruit from those people the best talent that they have. We may want to create customer events where we can measure, did we did we nudge them out of the way or do we take the prime position? We might may, um, may do deal analysis and look at how many deals we beat in comparison against that competitor. Even if the number's not quite where it was supposed to be, we're still making progress against our goal. And if you can do those two things, get your scope, lock down your goal clarity, you are going to find massive, massive changes in what you're actually executing and the decisions that people make in order to achieve it. Yeah. Tim, you used a word and that was disruption. And um, I think that's sometimes how we approach the change process with sales is, look, the old way you were doing it absolutely doesn't work. And here's a brand new way in every way that we want you to learn and do and execute on. And I think there can sometimes be a mistake in that um, because there are sellers who are successful doing things the old way. And they will say, well, I'm, I'm hitting my numbers. I'm hitting my quota. Why should I change? And the ones that maybe aren't doing it the way that we want um, and are not successful, um, they view this new initiative as just such a big change and such a big hill to climb that maybe they're not able to climb it effectively at all. So I'm wondering if just even the base approach that we're taking to this could be wrong. Like, like for me, I view value selling as a, you're not going to abandon a product approach because you do have to demonstrate the product. You have to make sure it does what the customer wants and needs. There's going to be a technical evaluation. To me, value selling is an and, not an or to the process. Yet we, I've seen programs get launched where it's like a, no, you got to completely abandon the old way. It doesn't work. And now here's another whole new way approach. Forget about product. It's all about value or forget about the solution-based approach we just taught you. It's all around medic or med pick or whatever right. the new process or, or methodology might be. Talk about how we can maybe do a better job on that. Well, so that's a, that's a huge question. There's um, actually a lot to unpack there. Let, let's go back to this idea that when I, when I hear these kind of comments from senior leaders, what they're asking for is accountability. They want their people to be accountable for whatever it is that they're asking them to do. 
And, and I, whenever I hear, I want accountability, I go time out. Let's define accountability is accountability. People have a number and they're exposed when they don't hit that number. Um, that actually creates a fear-based culture and people will not only hide from that kind of visibility, they'll actually generate bad information. You know, their the, the CRMs are notorious for being full of garbage because mm -hmm. people have not put what's really in their pipe into the CRM because they don't want to be, quote, held accountable for what's in their CRM. Um, so I always calibrate accountability is around full transparency that's voluntary. It's trust-based. Mm -hmm. So I will raise my hand when I'm not hitting my number or I need help because I'm not afraid of the consequence. And a lot of organizations say we want this change, but anybody who doesn't change gets bopped on the head every time they do something wrong. So people wind up hiding the change or even better, they just don't do the change at all. At all. But let's say we have the right definition of accountability. Then the thing that you have to have before accountability is engagement. And that's what you were just going after as well is this idea that I want to be personally connected and engaged with whatever the change is as a salesperson so that I'm doing it because I believe not only is it the right thing for the company, I believe it's the right thing for me. So if compensation and all the other stuff doesn't tie into that engagement factor, I will not have accountability, period. But before you can have engagement, you have to have empowerment. I will not volunteer to put in all the extra time and effort if you haven't given me the people I need, the time I need, the energy I need, and the resources that I need. I can use the acronym PETER, P-T-E-R. And the idea that I need to rely on other functions and other teammates to respond when I need their help, to answer questions when I, to give me permission or give me information when I need to go to a customer with that. And if I don't mm -hmm. have that, if I don't have the time to get it done, um, energy is, it goes back to both confidence and the skills and the training that you give me, but also just fatigue and fear and confusion. And I hear one thing one month and the next thing another month. And what's the priority? I don't know what it is. I'm not going to engage. And of course, resources gets into the, the money, the, the technology, the data, as well as just the physical space to, to do my work. And if you don't do those things, you will not have accountability. So you, you, you have to work this in a sequence and an order for the, the team to work. There is no easy button. And unfortunately, a lot of sales organizations, and, and I'll say this bluntly, especially in tech, and I'll throw in pharmaceutical as well, have, have developed this over-reliance on their technology or their innovation. And because it's so cool, they, they quietly expect it to sell itself. So sellers are almost this necessary evil. And if you just do it, it'll, just, it'll be great. And all of a sudden the numbers start to go soft or you're not getting the growth that you expected out of it. You start pushing on the sellers, but at the end of the day, you haven't fully empowered them and engaged them to get them to be accountable for the strategy you're trying to execute. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. You covered so many great topics there. So it's <laughs> about... <laughs> Accountability requires in engagement, which also requires empowerment. So it really starts with, you know, building that foundation of empowerment and a, a culture of trust. So how do you think that leaders can really start with that foundational empowerment and trust building to create the environment in which the team can be successful? So this is, this is where I go back to clarity. Clarity is your, your anchor. Now, clarity is an extension of culture. 
So the hard part here is that, you know, do we go after culture first and, and trust is one of those values that drives, or do we go after clarity first? And I'll say, look, um, I grew up in the ocean. So the idea of, you know, when, when you are in a boat, you, you drop your anchor, you, you're only going to be able to drift so far from that anchor point. And culture is that anchor point. It will allow you to, to drift this far that or that, and that's it. But, but you need to not move your anchor point first, create clarity first, get the scope, get the goal clarity, get the role clarity. And then I'll throw in the last one, get your priorities locked. One is one, two is two, three is three. Everything else sits outside of that. So when I come to you and say, Hey, I need this report done, or, Hey, we got to do this extra new thing, or, Hey, we, I'm like, is that priority one, two or three? And if you're not clear to me, then, then whatever you allocate to me for resources as an empowerment, I may or may not even use because I'm trying to go after what I think success is. So I always say start with clarity, then you can do the empowerment, then the engagement, accountability, and over time you will shift that culture. But that's, again, it, it, we're talking deep psychological kind of values that people operate with. And mm -hmm. um, one of the, one of the ones I use all the time is that, you know, in the absence of, informa of information, people create their own. So start with really clear expectations around that information and goals and roles and all that stuff. And you would be shocked at how much of this stuff just cleans up on its own. But if the information flow is one way, um, if it's not cross-functional, if it's not open and allows for people to truly speak their mind, then you're literally pulling the thread at the very beginning and none of it's going to hang together, no matter what you try to do. Yeah. You mentioned that in the absence of information, people create their own. I think one of the psychological things is, too, we think the worst. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that need for survival is there. So in our minds, when there is a lack of information, we tend to be very fear-driven and survival-driven in, in light of it. And that gets in the way of change, right? It enacts a status quo bias. That's so spot on. That's actually the anchor point for the coaching that I do is how do we make sure you're, you're not un understanding how strategy execute, but you're also the person who has the mindset and the skill set in order to do this. And when we go to survival mode, you're right, it, it just goes negative. And we can justify it all day long of why it makes sense of why we're doing what we're doing. And it all makes sense in our head. But to your point, Tom, it's a negative um, um, lens that everything is now being seen with, which limits the kind of decisions I make, which limits the kind of conversations we have. And that's even before we get to the customer. This is mm -hmm. all behind the scenes. This is all the stuff we're doing in our own team meetings and cross-functional meetings and other things. It, it turns into this really, really, and then we expect our sellers to show up positive and bright and happy and ready to be brand ambassadors. Mm -hmm. uh, and we haven't, we haven't empowered that at all. Now, Tim, in that, the psychology as well, there's also, we'll go to Simon Sinek's The Why, right? The mm -hmm. purpose. And you spoke about how important that is. If the seller knows why we're doing these things, perhaps that's the big change agent. Talk about the importance of the why and purpose. Yeah. So, so um, why is always first, but you also have to cover the what 
and the how, and also the what if. And mm -hmm. there's a theory that's been out for decades called um, by a gentleman named Kolb, K-O-L-B. Um, but it's, it's the idea is how we apply meaning to our experience. And so mm -hmm. the why people, I'm a why guy. I, if you don't tell me why, screw you, I'm not doing it. Um, so so when, when why is ignored, you wind up generate this negative energy in the room. But let's, let's get the why first. Let's explain the purpose. But then there are people in the room who actually aren't as hung up about why. They're just like, yeah, I got it. You're the boss. I do it. But what am I supposed to do? How, what exactly are you asking? And, and those, those are the folks who will, who will print out emails. They'll, they'll take you know, stuff and they'll, they'll try to touch it with their hands because they're very sensory um, in, in terms of their information um, uh, uh, gathering. And, and the what people then um, need that button hit. And then the how people like, forget telling me about it. Let me just go try it. Let me go do it. And the how people have to have it, and then they have to come back and say, hey, that worked, that didn't work, can we try this, can we change this? And then, and lastly, have the what if. And those are the folks on every sales team that whenever everything's done, they go, is there any questions? Yeah, I have a question. Uh, what if uh, it's a Thursday and it's 4.30 at night uh, on the Pacific Coast? And they come up with all this stuff, <laughs> and we make fun of them, but the reality is it's those what if kind of things that will keep us from getting distracted or in fact off um, derailed from the execution if we haven't thought that through. So I, I say it's you've got to lead with why, but you've got to cover the what, the how, and the what if as well. And it makes so much sense. It makes me think about Aaron Myers, the culture map and how different people look at things like sometimes they're comfortable with hierarchical decision making. Sometimes they're really comfortable with collaborative decision making. Um, and so all of these different characters in a room can really, like you said, require different information in order to be inspired for change. Yeah. And they have to self-select when to let their kind of... Um, personal desire go away. And when they need their, um, uh, uh, what's the right word? Um, they need to advocate for their perspective. They need to push in. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, Tim, one of the things that a lot of folks who are trying to institute change have been faced with lately is Monday morning quarterbacks. You know, there's only so many quarterbacks in the NFL, but there are thousands on Monday morning. Um, it is a society of criticism now in a lot of ways, and you'll see it in meetings or you'll see it in Slack channels where mm. it's a, a critic's reign almost environment. Um, how do you deal with harness that to help it with the change process, as opposed to being that great barrier where it builds up momentum and just gets in the way? We have a, I'll use, I, you know, the past it's easy to say it's, oh, this generation, whatever. I do, it's the social yeah. voice. The social yeah. voice today, regardless of generation, is in some, it's, it's tied to this idea that information is control. So I find that a lot of people want to master their understanding of the information so that they feel like they're in control. So hmm. people will attack information if they don't agree with it, if it lines up, they will um, change information, they will block information. Um, we have some politicians who just make up information um, out of thin air. Uh, but the reality is, it's all an attempt for control. 
And, and you got to ask, why do people have this huge desire to be in control? Because I would tell you, control is a myth. It doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. You can't control the weather. You can't control traffic. You can't control your neighbor or shucks. You can't control yourself. I mean, if you've got a tongue, you'll say things that you shouldn't have said. And that, that happens pretty much every day. So <laughs> the idea that, that we can control the controllables, no, you influence what you can, but you have mm-hmm. to trust the journey. And we're back to a deep psychological, you know, kind of state where can you get out of survival mode? And trust the journey that no matter what happens, even quote the disruptions, the bad things, it's still going to end well. We just have to go with it. And, and maybe that's because I grew up in the, in the ocean. You, know, you, you go in the ocean, you can't control it. I went scuba diving on Saturday and it was fantastic. But before we got in the water, we had to, we had to pause because the waves surged just for a moment. Mm-hmm. And, and I live in, on the big island of Hawaii. We have rocky coasts. It's not this nice sandy little thing. We're going to dive in and we, oh, wow. So let's hold for a second. And the same thing happened when we got out. Now, during the dive, it was all fun, but you cannot control that. You have to harmonize with what's happening. And you have to go from um, a very uh, uh, directed kind of approach to a very hands, oh, I'm just going to float with it. And we don't allow that in business. We, For some reason, we think we get better performance when we turn that kind of thinking off. And the reality is people need, people must have the freedom to relax, adjust, and, and if a competitor is surging forward, hey, you know what? Let's just let's just wait for a second. Let's not stop everything, and let's instead use this as an opportunity to make different decisions than what we quote plan to do because the plan no longer is relevant. And that's a different mindset that leaders have to have. Yeah, I love it, um, Tim. What is the one piece of advice you'd like to leave our Enterprise Value Collective with today? Wow, I will say this. Um, If you want to get better change from your players, if you want to have better results from your players, you have to treat them as people. They're human beings. They are not machines. They're not cogs. They're not um, lines on a Gantt chart. They are literally human beings who have feelings first and then create thoughts to justify those feelings. And if you don't tap into the core psychological truths, you will not be able to execute your business best practices. Love it. Thank you so much, Tim. Really insightful. And uh, we'll have to have a separate discussion on the whole in control and why that is so turbocharged today. I could go on. I could have gone on for another 30 minutes with you on that topic. (laughs) Easily. Um, Remember, folks, please sign up to the Enterprise Value Collective if you haven't joined us yet. Uh, you can do that on LinkedIn or on the GeniusDrive.com website. You can stay in touch on the latest events, tools, podcasts, insights. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. If you liked what Tim had to say and liked what you heard, please, please hit the like button. And uh, Enterprise Value Collective, until our next time, please keep sharing and growing together.